Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, the communications director for the Sustainable Farming Association. And today we're bringing you three guests, Dale Boondorf, a farmer in Faribault County raising corn and soybeans, Caroline Divetter, and Herman Barch, both of whom work for the Minnesota Department of Agriculture through the Minnesota Ag Water Quality Certification Program. And that program might sound familiar because we often talk about it at our field days as a great opportunity for farmers to potentially implement some new practices that are that will better take care of their water and their soil and to get recognized for it. Dale is water quality certified and Herman is his certifier. And altogether, the three will give us some insight into the experience of getting certified, some of the benefits that they're noticing on Dale's farm and broadly across the state through the many, many people who've gotten the certification. If you go back to episode 38, that is also an episode about the certification process and a different story from a different farmer. But today we're also going to get into the endorsements, which are some additional recognition pieces beyond the original certification. And at least one of those might come with some additional financial perks in the future. So let's get right to it. Well, thank you three so much for joining this morning. Um, Dale, I'd love to hear about your farm, where you're located, what you're raising and growing. All right. Yeah, my name is Dale Boondorf. I farm with my brother Clyde uh, here in Faribault County, Minnesota. We uh, live right along Interstate 90 between Blue Earth, Albert Lee, um, and then we farm south toward the Iowa border. Um, We raise about 1,700 acres corn soybean. Um, We've been strip tilling. Uh, since uh, we put our first strips in the fall of 2008, and we've been doing that ever since. Uh, Combination no-till, strip-till. And lately uh, have been doing more and more cover crop uh, on those acres and with uh, help uh, and guidance from uh, uh, USDA, the NRCS, and our local soil and water conservation. We're planning on now uh, cover cropping, following corn, all of our corn acres uh, going into soybeans uh, going forward here. And Caroline, uh, where are you located and, and what do you do for, for MDA? Um, so I work out of the St. Paul office, but of course with COVID, I've been working out of my house in Minneapolis for the last couple of years. Um, so I kind of work um, on the technical side of things for the program. So I I have a background in nutrient management, so writing um, nutrient management plans and um, mineral management plans, that sort of thing. And I also do a lot of the record keeping. So all of the um, uh, new certifications that come in, I kind of look through them, review them, process them, and, um, and the endorsements as well. And then I also do the certifications for the metro counties. So I'm up here. I have... Um, I think nine counties that I work in. Oh, gotcha. How many, can I ask real quick, like how many folks are certified in the Metro? I think most listeners might be surprised that there are um, farms big enough or something like that to, to get the certification. Oh, sure. Actually, well, I guess size doesn't really matter too much. Um, We'll certify like a one acre, you know, as long as they're producing um, an agricultural product, I guess. So like, we won't certify a home garden, but if you're doing a CSA or um, going to farmer's market, that sort of thing. So we don't really have a size limit, but I think there's like 
I don't know the exact number, probably 80 or so in the Metro. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's even more than I would have thought. That's great. All right. And Herman, you worked with Dale directly for the certification process or what's been your role? I did. Yes. Um, I am an area certification specialist in the South central part of the state. I work out of home. I'm just South of Mankato near Good Thunder. Um, my job is to work with farmers, help them work towards becoming certified. Also coordinating with like local conservation partners, NRCS, soil and water conservation districts on working with their producers and then, you know, getting people help with financial assistance, helping get that lined up, doing program reviews, you know, checking in with people that were certified in the past. And so, yeah, that's my role. And yes, I worked with Dale directly on his certification. So That's great. It's really cool to hear that um, how collaborative like the egg water certification program is with other entities and um, organizations too. Yeah. A lot of times the local conservation partners, they have a relationship with the producers. So we're just trying to come in and help out kind of advance conservation. Um, you know, not trying to recreate the wheel, just kind of add on to, to what folks are already doing in the area. So. Absolutely. Great. Well, Dale, how did you come across the egg certification program? Was this some, or the egg water certification program? Was this something that you were seeking out? Uh, just initially, um, just as a grower, I, I participated or went to a lot of, uh, a lot of meetings, conservation meetings, cover crop meetings, and uh, there was always a presence um, from Minnesota Egg Water Quality Initiative rep was there, or the information was there to to get started, and that was initially uh, my exposure. And then, then our work uh, at the county level, then with NRCS, um, we kind of got motivated. Um, with one of the workers there that said, hey, let's do this. There's a lot of overlap for what we're trying to accomplish here and let's uh, let's get you certified. Um, and and we have uh, one landlord that is uh, really excited about what we're doing and you know uh, just kind of made a push to hey, I want I want my ground cover cropped, you know, if we can get there, let's get there. And so yeah, it's just kind of step uh, step that way uh, to get there. So. Wonderful. So you're saying you you had already been um, employing a lot of the practices that would lead to certification. There was maybe just a few gaps to fill. For sure. Yeah. With that strip till, you know, cover crop uh, stuff we were doing, you know, it wasn't a big, a big step uh, to get there. Um, so some of the things are nutrient management. We had to kind of tweak those those numbers a little bit, um, some water uh, erosion control issues, uh, some tile intakes we had to, had to, had to address. And um, yeah, so it wasn't a huge leap for us, uh, just kind of to get started and get the ball rolling. Caroline, so you mentioned that you have some background in like the nutrient management and writing plans for that. Is that um, a service then that is kind of part of the certification program for farmers who need to adjust their nutrient management or do you work with them directly or help them adjust a nutrient plan if that's part of what they need to do? Right. Yeah. So um, during the certification program, we go pretty in depth on what is their rate um, in nitrogen and phosphorus and then the source timing and placement. So we kind of evaluate if they're meeting, um, we go off of the university's best management practices And so in order to, 
maybe get certified if there's something that we can tweak and and make better. We'll make that. It's a it's a voluntary program, so we kind of say here's what we see that might be a risk to water quality, and here's a way to mitigate mitigate that. And so um, we kind of we work with the producer of what they're able to do and what they want to do, and kind of come up with a unique solution for them. And is that I, I'm kind of remembering back to a previous episode we did with some other program representatives. They um, there's not necessarily like everybody has to check these same boxes in terms of criteria is there kind of there's a scoring Mm -hmm. by folks and so some people might really engage with a nutrient management or some people might really engage with um, a different piece am I recalling that correct right yeah so it is kind of an index Um, so we have the assessment tool and it's on the um, MDA website and so you can look at it if you want to but there's it is heavily weighted. It's weighted in different areas, but heavily weighted on kind of the nutrient management. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of like we look at each parcel and see what maybe is an issue on one specific field um, versus, you know, other fields in the farm's operation might not have that same issue. So we kind of do go parcel by parcel and see what they're doing on on each piece. And yeah, kind of, it's very unique to to each area. And each producer too. So some, not every producer is going to be using every nutrient management BMP. You know, there might be right. some overlap, but depending on what type of operation they have, you know, Dale might be doing variable rate phosphorus and nitrogen. Another producer, you know, might be doing a, a flat rate and there's different BMPs that apply, or if you have a small, you know, vegetable operation, there's different things. So it's very producer specific and field specific, like Carolyn said. So it is a unique part of the program. Yeah. And then thinking about how unique each field can be is a part of the goal with making these nutrient management programs um, going to also be like reducing chemical use overall, or is it, is, is that part of the picture, I guess? Cause I think some people, when they think of sustainability, they're going to think of minimizing um, inputs and they're going to relate that to, to water quality and other resource management. Yeah, I guess curious if like chemical and input reduction is like woven into the plans, I guess, or not. I think it's producer specific on that. Like for some people that are pursuing, you know, soil health, they might also be thinking about reduced inputs as motivation for, for using those soil health practices. Um, so I know there, I do work with some producers that are you know, trying some things, evaluating different application rates to see if they can start backing off. So trying to moderate their inputs a little bit, but maybe. Um, and yeah, it's something that we try to help with. Gotcha. So it's really producer driven on what what kind of their goals are too. Right. Yeah, Katie, I guess I guess I could add that uh, probably not so much a reduction for us, but just more responsibility and placement and you know especially with the nutrients you know that variable rate really comes into play uh, not every acres gets treated the same um you know we can put fertilizer where it needs to be and and not where it doesn't need to be um and so probably not always a reduction but yeah just a more responsible way to 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 use uh, both chemistry and um fertilizer and and all your inputs Great. Yeah. Thank y'all for elaborating. I don't think we spent a lot of time focusing on nutrient management um, on the show before. So 
Herman, do you find that Dale's situation where he was already well on his way on his farm to like meeting the requirements for the certification? Um, do you find a lot of people are already in that boat in your area? Is it maybe a whole range of people starting from square one, so to speak, versus almost there? Yeah, that's definitely a range. I mean, most of the people that apply for certification, they're, you know, they're trying to do their their best and, and mitigate water quality concerns. Um, so we try to help them along in the direction that they're going. So that's different for different people. And it's not often that I certify someone without them making any changes at all. Mm -hmm. So normally, um, people are doing, like Dale was saying, some tweaks, uh, could be with their tillage or nutrient management, or maybe adding a structural practice or cover crop here or there. Um, so most people are taking some additional step when they become certified. So it's just a matter of identifying which direction they want to go and how we can, how we can work with them on that. Right. Well, that makes me wonder about timeline then. Is there kind of like an average time people spend during the certification process? Um, knowing now that there's you know, a huge range of where people are starting from and between where they're going, trying to go, but I guess, Dale, how long did it take you from, you know, initially contacting Herman to completing your certification? Oh, it, uh, I don't know, Herman, was it inside of six months that we got that, that done? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was not a long process, you know, depending on, on the, the things you need to, to get there if, if those things take you a little longer, but, uh, like in our case, we were doing a lot of the things. And so, yeah, um, just making plans for uh, erosion control, um, our nutrient management plans were just a tweak and that's not a big deal for us. Um, um, I don't know, just, just the, the time between steps that we were taking, you know, but, between our communication with Herman and back and forth, uh, those are probably the most time time consuming things. It was not a long process at all. And you had already done quite a bit of work with NRCS on doing some planning. So you had some practices identified and even some, maybe some preliminary design work done. Correct. Before we started the certification process. So for someone who hasn't done that, you know, I have some people who might be going on a couple of years where, you know, we've identified a path for them to become certified. And if they have some big practices that need to be installed or some major changes to make, they might be looking at applying for financial assistance and getting that all in line before we move forward with the certification. So it could be anywhere from a week to, like I said, a couple of years. So there's no, there's no deadline on it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a big range. You know, when you're initially uh, submit your application. You, you think you you, know, you don't know how long this is going to take or what what I went in thinking I wouldn't have to do a darn thing. But uh, Herman pointed out the things that we could do. You know, uh, I thought uh, strip till no till stuff all we're we're good to go. But there there's a lot more uh, in depth things that uh, we need to pay attention to. Oh sure. Well, what were some of those things? What did what did you learn that kind of expanded your your perspective there? Well, those uh, open inlets, you know, on the tile intakes, um, for sure, you know, that's a direct route to ground groundwater quality uh, issues. And so, yeah, we need to make sure that water isn't just dumping in there and, and moving soil with it. So, um, you know, we're, we're 
we're addressing those concerns. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the, just, yeah, more of the erosion control. You know, we even though we're strip till and no till, we've still got areas of concern um, that we need to do some critical area plantings um, just to leave that soil alone. Um, and uh, yeah, those are probably the two biggest things um, that we were doing uh, that we needed to address. What are the benefits that you've noticed so far? Whether it's like visually or in terms of yield, or yeah, what have you what have you seen on your farm? I guess in the field, I guess those areas um, of erosion control that we have done already. Um, it's nice farming through those areas and seeing you know the the soil staying put and not not washing uh, you know creating gullies. I'm trying to think of some other ways that we've seen it. You know, we've been doing this for a number of years. So the the soil structure and stuff and that we're seeing, I think we've seen uh, over this, this period of time we've been doing it. So there's not a lot of huge change there for us. Caroline and Herman, I'm kind of curious what motivations um, farmers you work with have to get the certification. Um, I know some people have mentioned like, oh, it's a nice marketing thing. Like they can bring their sign to their farmer's market stand and spark conversations with folks. I imagine some people like, you know, Dale was already tuned into like, well, I want to uh, manage my soil well. Yeah. What kind of thing ideas are people coming in with why they're even pursuing this in the first place, especially if it takes, you know, a couple of years sometimes. Yeah. We've done a couple surveys. So we did, um, survey a few years ago of the first 500 producers certified and then we just did another one of the next group of 500 and the biggest by far is just kind of like the recognition piece so just that you know I'm doing these practices I I do care about water quality I do care about the legacy I'm leaving behind and this is kind of a way to for them to to show it to have been kind of audited by a third party that they are doing what they can to protect water quality so I think that was by far the largest reason when people were surveyed. Um, we do have some additional um, financial incentives. So we have a, a grant program specifically through the program. Um, and then there's also, we have RCPP. So that's through NRCS. It's a, a special pool of money just for people that um, are working to be certified or are certified. We got some Herman. <laughs> I think, no, I think those are the main ones, the financial assistance piece. Um, I've had a lot of people come in, they have some practices in mind that they are looking to get some financial assistance with and um, getting certified can help, you know, give them a leg up and accessing that financial assistance. And then, you know, the recognition part, some people just want to get that sign. We give them a nice steel sign. I still owe Dale a few of those for him and his, uh, his landlords that are interested but you know i've had some producers that i've worked with you know on and off and it's kind of a dialogue and working on their certification agreement and every once in a while they'll call and just be like i really want to get that sign you know so i can hang it (laughs) so yeah i mean demonstrating your water quality ethic and like carolyn said having someone verify your practices and demonstrating that that you're doing the right thing or making making an effort to address water quality concerns is important to people Love to hear that. But I, you, you mentioned a piece um, that I didn't catch before where, where Dale is working with landlords. 
does the certification follow you if like he were to start renting different land somewhere else? Or does it, if you, um, I don't know, a lot of people rent farmland, right? So does that certification follow them or is it tied to the land? Yes, we can add land in or take land out of a producer's certification as that changes. So Mm -hmm. usually, you know, somewhere in around year four, we'll check in with producers that are certified just to see if anything has changed. So if there's been any change in their operation as far as the acres are they're producing on, then we can make that change. Um, and we've also certified, you know, it might be just a landlord that owns one field and they rent it out and they want to be, they want to get their piece certified. So a landlord could apply and certify just the part that they own versus certifying an entire operation. That makes sense. Absolutely. Their one field might just be part of a bigger farm operation, but we can certify just the, that landowner's field. Okay. Oh, that's really good to know. I hadn't heard that before. All right. So no one's worrying about you're going to come take their sign away if they have to start <laughs> renting different <laughs> land. I think was what I was getting at. Yeah. We've actually had land o- landowners use it in their rental agreements that they they want the um, the renters to be at least at that that level of um, management. So it's kind of an interesting way to use certification. Absolutely. Yeah, that's neat to hear. I, I feel like I've, we've had at SFA more people, um, I think, than I can remember in the past, like check in to see like, oh, hey, I, you know, I inherited some land and I, I really want it to be farmed in this way. And also like, I'm not going to farm it. I want to find somebody. Um, so this is, yeah, that's a great resource or a fact for me to be able to share with, with landowners. I appreciate that. I've had producers mention that too, as part of the motivation for being certified, like, you know, so they can kind of add that to their resume if they're looking for land to rent, you know, oh. to, to mention to the landlords or potential landlords that they're water quality certified. Oh, that's, yeah, that is excellent. I'm pulling up um, an article that Angie, our kind of point person for this program with an SFA wrote, um, but it was neat to, to hear that like a study that the Minnesota State Agricultural Centers of Excellence have done for three years in a row now that continuously show that like farms that are certified within the program are making higher profits than those are not certified. I think like an average of more than 16,000 they, they found. Um, I guess I'm kind of connecting this back to my question about like what, what brings people to the table to consider this program. As far as farmers looking at that for sure the bottom line is always comes into play i guess in our operation we feel like these steps and the things we're doing is not so much short-term but long-term effects of what we're doing and protecting the land and protecting that resource and we as you know as the boots on the ground and on these lands all these lands that we're part of um i think it's important that we we do these things and be responsible and, and protect these resources that we've got. Yeah, well said, Dale. I think um, anecdotally for a long time, we've heard that, you know, people that are using soil health practices are seeing all of these benefits and um, maybe more economic return, but it is nice that we've been working with the Minnesota State Colleges and um, Farm Business Management Program to actually run those numbers. And, you know, they take so much information, um, economic data from 
from these farms. And it's cool to see the trend of three years in a row of um, kind of more conserva- conservation-minded farms, you know, coming out ahead economically. Yeah, for sure. And in, in our operation, do we, it's just the less trips over the field, you know, you know well, especially it's magnified today with fuel prices, but yeah, every, every trip that you make is costing that, costing you money and uh, we're eliminating those trips and just leaving that soil alone and, you know, and saving money at the same time. So yeah, our fuel use has gone down dramatically. Um, it's hard to remember when we were pumping thousands of gallons of fuel um, through our operation to now we get by with a, a fraction of that. Um, just the, the things that we're doing. Oh, that's excellent. And yeah, like what you said earlier with, you know, putting nutrients where they don't need to be like, that's money saved in the inputs too. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely wanted to take some time to talk about the endorsements today because we haven't um, explored that yet in previous episodes. Um, Caroline, would you kind of give us an overview of, of what the endorsements are um, and why they are, I suppose? Like, why is this a part of the certification program? Sure. Yeah. So we have five endorsements now. Yeah. So irrigation, soil health, wildlife, integrated pest management, and climate smart. So those are the five. And so, well, they kind of came up, the integrated pest management was the first one we did. I think back in 2019 was the first one. And that kind of came a lot of, a lot of these are collaboration with other groups um, is where they've come from. So the the university is the one that puts together kind of um, the best management practices for for pest management, and they saw it as kind of a learning opportunity as and to kind of see, you know, how many people are implementing these best management practices, and it was kind of a natural segue for the Ag Water Quality Certification Program because we're already sitting down with producers, going through each parcel one on one, and and so we everything that we collect to do the, the assessment process. So nutrient management, tillage, pest management, drainage, irrigation, and then what conservation practices they're already implementing or, or wanting to be um, implementing. And so we kind of go through everything already that um, you don't have to kind of do a separate meeting and, and, um, kind of go through all of it already on the front end and so it's kind of a natural extension for us to to do these endorsements and it is a way to to give recognition to people that are going above and beyond in these different categories um, and just to give them additional recognition and just to show that so many of these practices do benefit water quality but they also have so many more benefits that we're not kind of tapping into. So it's, so it's a way to, you know, you put in a filter strip, but also, you know, that's really great for wildlife um, and, and that sort of thing. So it was kind of a natural extension of what we were already doing. That's great. I heard through the grapevine. So I'm curious about this, that like, there's a hope that these endorsements may eventually lead to ecosystem service payments. Is that like maybe on the horizon or a possibility? Yeah, so actually we for sure do have some funding secured um, for the Climate Smart um, bridge payment. So folks that they have to have the the Climate Smart endorsement. Um, 
And we do have the, the funding secured. We are kind of just working on the administrative stuff on our end of how to um, actually get the money out to producers. So coming soon, we will be, we'll be reaching out to the folks that already have that endorsement and then more people, you know, people that are coming and signing up and, and wanting to go through that um, climate smart endorsement um, will also have an opportunity. And so what we kind of, um, the bridge payment, the idea behind it is that we've, we work with a lot of producers that have been doing great things like Dale for 10, 15 years. Um, and then all of these carbon markets are coming in and they're saying, no, you have to be doing something new. So I, I have heard the sentiment from farmers like, oh, if I just plow up this field that has been no-till for 10 years, then I'm eligible for these payments. I'll go back to what I was doing and, you know, and I'll be eligible. But so the kind of the idea between for this bridge payment is that right now these carbon markets are all over the place. Mm-hmm. They're They're changing, you know, weekly and maybe there'll be a new farm bill that kind of streamlines everything and kind of the idea that we want the conservation that's already out there to kind of stay, stay there until these markets can figure themselves out. So yeah, that is the one, the one that does have some additional benefits tied to it right now. That's excellent. That is a really frustrating part of the carbon markets. I think for a lot of people is the idea that has to be new. And so all these people that have been doing the work for a long time, um, yeah, it's great to hear that that's incorporated into into something at least. Yeah, yeah. Dale, I gotta ask, which which endorsements do you have? Well, Herman could maybe check my math on this, but I believe where our endorsements are soil health endorsement and integrated pest management. Is there any more, Herman? Those are the two for now. Yep. Okay. And we just kind of took Herman's lead, you know, through this uh, initial assessment. He said, hey, you're not far. You already qualify for these these two endorsements. Oh, that's awesome. Are you uh, intending to work towards any of the others or two out of five? I think that's pretty good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I'd I'd be curious. Yeah. What uh, what steps we need to take. Um, to get to that climate smart endorsement or uh, wildlife endorsement. Um, yeah, I'm curious what those steps would be for us to get there as an operation. Um, irrigation wise, we're kind of out. We don't have any irrigation, but uh, but yeah, those other ones certainly interest us. Herman, do you find a lot of the folks that you're working with are pursuing these? Is it kind of, it, it sounds like, you know, you really helped Dale, like, all right, you're already well on your way to these, like, let's go for these right away. Yeah, like Carolyn said, when we're going through that initial assessment, there's a lot of overlap with the endorsement. So it might just be a couple of additional questions, like just going through the assessment, we can see, you know, who might be a good candidate for this or that. And then like Dale said, maybe recommend a couple of endorsements and ask a couple additional questions just to fill in the blanks on that. But I would say the soil health and integrated pest management have been the most frequently used ones in my area. I've got a couple with the climate smart endorsement. The wildlife in my area with you know bigger fields and not a lot of odd areas, um, you have to have a pretty big chunk of your land set aside for wildlife habitat. So I haven't had as many of those in my area, but I know there are quite a few of them statewide. 
So yeah, we do try to recommend them as we're going through the assessment or when we're doing that that update with producers in year three or four, just to make them aware that these new endorsements are available. Yeah. Gosh. Well, it sounds like you y'all make it as easy as you can for folks. Doesn't sound too painful. Yeah, we try to make it as painless as possible, but there is still some work in gathering, you know, all the information that goes into the assessment. So I mean the producer still has to be motivated to get get the certification and the endorsements. We can't do it without them. It's one of those things, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. Like Dale was saying, you know, maybe there's some different ways or brought up some things to think about that they hadn't been thinking of previously. Um, so it's a good opportunity to maybe introduce the university recommendations or some different practices that might lead to an endorsement or just different BMPs that might apply to someone's operation that they haven't considered because they're not always, you know, thinking about water quality. And that's our job is to focus on that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we come in, we try to help producers and, and walk them through that. Right. So if I'm a farmer who is interested in pursuing certification or even just kind of like learning more, where, where do I start? Who would I reach out to? your local soil and water conservation district or natural resources conservation service supposed to be the first first people. Otherwise you can contact us directly. There's a, we have a website, my land, my legacy that org, Caroline. Um, I believe it might be my land, my legacy.com, but yeah. you can, you can find a map on there and find, you know, who is the certification specialist in your area and contact us directly. If you want to go that route too. Perfect. I'll put those links in the show notes for folks. I've got a question. If if I can play Katie now for a second, Herman or or Caroline, can you speak to some of the qualifications? You know, to get somebody to climate smart, say, or um, some of those other endorsements. Um, from your experience, what have growers had to implement uh, to get to those? Maybe I'll start with a few, and then Caroline can help me out. But there's a long list of practices you know, that could help to qualify you for the climate smart, you know, no-till, strip-till, cover crops. Uh, those are the most common ones that people are using. Uh, one thing I've noticed that, you know, if you're doing 100% no-till and cover crops, and that's the only thing they have in there, that's not quite enough on its own to get you the climate smart endorsement, in my experience. Uh, you may also have to be doing, uh, you know, using a nitrification inhibitor, or a urease inhibitor with your nitrogen or using manure as a big portion of your nitrogen source, uh, converting cropland to grassland or grassland to trees. There's a lot of different things that they could be doing uh, that contribute to that. But all the practices that are in there are ones that have been identified by, I believe it's Natural Resources Conservation Service um, and are listed in their Comet tool but they're practices that have been identified to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So those are the practices that we're giving credit for. Yep, right on. Yeah, we we use both. Um, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency came out with, um, they took, uh, I don't know, hundreds of studies and kind of attached a number to what um, all these studies have found in terms of what the emission reductions or... Um, is it avoidance and reductions? Yeah. Um, what all these different practices go to. So we kind of um, coupled with the comment tool, we we came up with what are the different values for 
all of these different practices. So the biggest ones obviously are like set us not set aside land, but kind of converting from um, a row crop into a pasture or or grass. Um, but yeah, I think it's generally what we have is like it is a working lands program. So cover crops and no-till and then some sort of nutrient management practice of yeah, either reducing your fertilizer use or converting it to um, like a manure source um, or introducing a, a perennial into the into the rotation. And but this is a look back program, so um, we do look back to I forget what year it is. Uh, 2005, I think, because that's when the state started kind of recording or sending their benchmark for their climate program. I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but um, so we do give credit to things that have been that have happened in the past. Yeah, I would say probably climate and wildlife are the two most complicated ones. Um, and so wildlife, we really put an emphasis on this is set aside land for the purpose of wildlife, not just because like this is an area I can't farm and I kind of just like let it go or something. Um, yeah, so a big part of it is having like set aside land and maybe CRP or another program that manages for wildlife and has um, a diversity of, of species planted there. You know, maybe a pollinator habitat planting, larger, you know, buffers around waterways, but maybe larger than required by the state or that sort of thing. Let's see, no-till and strip-till as part of the um, wildlife endorsement. Um, so it's kind of, the, these are not one size fits all as well. It's kind of like, what is, where are you at in your operation and what practices might you be able to do? So yeah, that's like, that's an important piece that seems for folks when they're considering I think I've seen you get additional signs when you get endorsed, right? I've got those signs. I've got those signs, not the other side. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I could mention uh, how many endorsements we have throughout the state. I have your numbers here, Carolyn. Just sent oh, out. Do it. Yeah. Oh, Monday. okay. So as far as total water quality certified producers in the state, as of June 6th, there were 1,224, 68 soil health endorsements, 56 integrated pest management endorsements, 40 wildlife endorsements, 40 climate smart endorsements, and four irrigation endorsements. So it gives you an idea of how many endorsements are out there compared to how many certified producers altogether. Yeah, thanks for doing this, Katie. Yeah, thank you. I, I hope it's helpful and helps other people um, get involved who otherwise might not have. Thanks for being willing to help out, Dale. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for highlighting some of the things we're doing here. Um, yeah, I'm pretty jazzed for the future of what's going on. So, cool. That's awesome. I have some signs with your name on them. So maybe next week I'll make a run down there. All right. Yeah, you're welcome anytime. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.